and just snowing this morning. Figured best time to do the song Whiter Than Snow. <laughs> I just couldn't help myself. I told Michael, I said, should we do this song or not? He goes, if there's ever a time to do it, this will be the day. <laughs> All right. If you want, you can sing along. If not, you can just leave this up to me. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Lord Jesus, look down from your throne in the sky and help me to make a complete sacrifice. I give up myself and whatever I know. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Lord Jesus, for this I most humbly entreat. I wait, blessed Lord, at thy crucified feet. By faith for my cleansing, I see thy blood flow. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Lord Jesus, before you I patiently wait. Come now and within me a new heart create. To those who have sought you, you never said no. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow whiter than snow yes whiter than snow now wash me and i shall be whiter than snow whiter than snow yes whiter than snow the blood is applied and I'm whiter than snow. Happy now? (laughs) 
applesauce, applesauce instead of applause. All right. Yeah. Uh, I don't talk about habits. Why do I need to stand right here? I've got like a handful of people to look at, and then the the people in the back, <laughs> the back row people, the back row. Yeah. For all of you listening online, because I'm sure there's like two of you now. Um, just so you know, for shame, for shame, the, all the people that had to drive the farthest are here. <laughs> Except for Marsha. Marsha made it in. Go, Marsha. So, reminders, um, not a whole lot. Missions project stuff will go for another week or so, and then we'll figure it out. And then just kind of go from there. If there's any, if there's something else we need to tell anybody that might be listening, or are we good? Uh-oh. Did a kid go out, or did an adult come in? <laughs> Clark! <laughs> Congratulations, you made it in. You have survived the snowpocalypse. <laughs> or is it snowmageddon? Do it. A lot of shoveling. <laughs> All right, so let's just go straight to the fun stuff. Who said, find me a woman who is a medium so I may go and inquire of her? Saul said that, and again, it has nothing to do with her size. We're talking about a, a person who supposedly... Why does that tickle you so much? <laughs> it has nothing to do with her size. It has only to do with the fact that she seeks the dead and all of that good stuff. Did anybody bother, did anybody bother in English to do the homework? <laughs> All right, so what was the problem with this? They were told, literally, it's like, there aren't a whole lot of things. We make a big deal about Leviticus and the laws of Exodus. and go, God gave them all these laws. There's actually not a whole lot of things that God told them not to do. So when he specifically says, don't do this thing, you would expect the king, the person in charge of the people, to kind of know not to go do this thing. It's part of the snowball of the life of Saul. It's a good good description for today. You take a snowball at the top of the hill, like in a Bugs Bunny cartoon, and start pushing. What happens at the bottom of the hill? Big, massive thing. Like when you're pushing up a snowman base, you know, you just keep rolling and rolling until you get enough. That's kind of the life of Saul culminating in finding a quote-unquote spiritist to consult the dead, to consult God, to find Samuel, so that he can figure out what he's supposed to do. You already know what he's supposed to do. God put that sort of information in a book that he gave you, put it in the ark, and set it aside so that you would know these things. So, big problem. All right, fun, 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 fun. In Jewish money, how many shekels equals one talent? <laughs> All right, uh, once again... Don't I, I I have to go look that one up because I looked it up and I wasn't even sure. So important though, believe it or not, there is something useful to learn even from this trivia question. So reason for the question is in there. We'll get the bulletin posted on the website so you can catch up and figure it all out from there and then go from there. So anything else? Today is going to be a snow day, so we're moving short. You know, not a whole ton of announcements. There's no point. You guys can read your bulletin. You're smart people. So anything else I'm forgetting? Last chance. In that case, I'm going to stop talking. I was reading through uh, the book that Michael's going to be preaching. He's preaching on Exodus uh, 13, 1 through 16, I think it is. But it talks about consecrating the firstborn, which consecrating means to set aside, to do separately, holy, to, to set apart. So... One of the songs I remember was Living for Jesus, talking about setting your life for Jesus, making the decision. So this morning we'll sing Living for Jesus.
Oh, Christ, for the young. 
Today's going to be real confusing, because at least when, you know, like everything was under lockdown, I moved chairs around to kind of at least give me somebody to look at that was close, but now we're, we've literally, we're playing four corners today. <laughs> we are, we are all just sprawled out, but if this was bingo, we'd win, right? You get the four corners and the one free spot in the middle, and we're good! All right, just a, uh, just as a notice, just so I can say hello, the, the Kittles are online. They want to make sure I said hi. So Denny and crew are on there. I know Denny would rather be here playing drums than sitting at home, but is what it is. You got to wait to get your driveway dug out and get out and about. I understand. So a um, couple of things. I know Mike's back isn't doing great. He said it was not having a good day, which I'm not sure he has a whole lot of good days right about now until he gets that disc fixed. Uh, Bill couldn't get out of his driveway. Uh, Terry got mostly out of his driveway, but hurt himself in the process. <laughs> Do what? And then the town came through and dug him back out, and I don't think he was able to overcome that. Isn't that lovely of him? Right when you get your... And they always do that. They've always done this to me. As soon as I get to the road and the driveway's clear, there they go. But the advantage is at least it stays cold enough here. So every time they've done that now, when I'm here in Illinois, I can just shovel it. In North Carolina, if they do that, it is so stinking wet the snow, that when they plow it across, it just hardens like a rock. So at any time you work on a driveway, you have to bring a scoop shovel, a push shovel, and a pickaxe. Because once you get to the end of the driveway, you can't just move it with the shovel because it's a frozen hunk of ice sometimes three, four feet high. And there have been numerous times I have literally chiseled out a driveway trying to make sure we can get folks out. So such fun. I don't mind the shoveling when it's just snow. I can live with that. That's the easy stuff. So... If nothing else this week, remember the folks that are killing themselves shoveling, apparently. So, Terry, Mike. Well, Mike's not hurting himself shoveling. Mike's just general back in, in, in general, actually. So, all right. Something useful. Exodus chapter 13. We are still leaving Egypt. Israel is going to be leaving Egypt for, apparently, until the end of time. I just realized I still have my keys on me. <laughs> I can still pitch slow pitch. There we go. So, in the process of Israel leaving Egypt, they are being reminded. Why are they being reminded again? Well, because God knows his people, which <laughs> is sometimes feels like bad news, but it is really, really good news because he's continually reminding them, which means what do we get? We get to be continually reminded, and we need that. So lessons. How serious is sin? How deeply should the redemptive work of God affect us? And how... Should my mind dwell on God's work? These questions and more answered in Exodus 13, 1 through 16. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Sanctify to me every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast, it belongs to me. Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery. For by a powerful hand the Lord brought you out from this place, and nothing leavened shall be eaten. On this day in the month of Abib you are about to go forth. It shall be when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall observe this rite in this month. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days, and nothing leavened shall be eaten or shall be seen among you, nor shall any leaven be seen among you in all your borders. You shall tell your sons on that day, saying, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a powerful hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, you shall keep this ordinance at its appointed time from year to year. Now when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, as he swore to you and to your fathers, and gives it to you, you shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. And the first offspring of every beast that you own, the males belong to the Lord. But every first offspring of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck, and every firstborn of a man, of man among your sons you shall redeem. It shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? Then you shall say to him, With a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. It came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord the males, the offspring, I'm sorry, the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. So it shall serve as a sign on your hand and as phylacteries on your forehead, for with a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Now, if I can untie, untie my tongue, we will be all set. So, believe it or not, much reminders in there, much good for us even today, which is one of the reasons why we're not skipping any of the stuff in Exodus. It's good for us. So, all the way back to the beginning. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, time out, time out. Don't miss the information right there. The emphasis that is going on in everything. We mentioned this last week. I'll mention it again. John 17, 17. Jesus' high priestly prayer, part of it. Sanctify them in the truth. What is the truth? Your word is truth. Where has Moses' power and authority come from this entire time? It's come from God. Moses doesn't just show up and say, hey guys, I got an idea. Let's go do this. No. Starting word is what? Tell them the Lord, the God of their fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, and his Jacob has seen their affliction. Tell them all of this. This is also twofold. Moses doesn't just show up and announce his power. Moses shows up and announces God's power. Moses doesn't show up as the deliverer. He shows up as the representative of the deliverer. This is also a second part. Moses is the one speaking for God because God has given him something to speak. What is Moses, or maybe I should say it this way, who is Moses supposed to be a picture of? When in doubt, give the Sunday school answer. Which is always Jesus. When you don't know the answer, you say, it's Jesus. Yeah. Turn into a four-year-old in Sunday school and just yell, Jesus. Moses is the deliverer of the people. No, he's not. He's a representative. Who is the ultimate deliverer of the people? Christ in his work. Hebrews chapter 1. 
God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So Moses is doing double duty. He is a prophet, but he is a picture of the prophet. He is representative of the deliverer, but he is also picturing the final deliverer. So even a little sentence like that, something useful to know. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Sanctify to me every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast, it belongs to me. Okay, why? Don't we already know that everyone belongs to God? Hasn't that been proven in the plagues? Isn't that what God has been showing? That he owns everything and everyone everywhere. It's one of the lessons we've been asking over and over again as God is performing these uh, miraculous plagues and as God is bringing judgment to Egypt, where is God God? Everywhere. Over whom is God God? Everyone. So why do we have to do this again? You ready? Be very, very careful with the answer to this question. You ready? What saved the sons of Israel? The reason I say be very careful is your first thought is probably the lamb sacrificed in the blood in the doorpost, right? It was the blood. What saved the sons of Israel? God did. God did. The blood is a symbol. The lamb is a sacrifice. Who did the saving? God did. This is why to this day, Yes, we want you to make a profession of faith before a church. We want you to make a confession of faith before a body of believers. We want you to publicly repent of your sins. We want to publicly baptize you in the water. But do any of those things actually save you? No. This is why the Reformation formulation, sounds like a bad church rap song right there, doesn't it? (laughs) The Reformation formulation is, (laughs) there you go. There's, There's a reason why this is so important. Does your faith save you? No, God saves you. This is why in the Reformation we always refer to you are saved by grace through faith. Now, can you be saved apart from your faith? No, because your faith is an active uh, active component of your salvation. You are saved, therefore you exercise faith. But it is not your faith that saves you, it is your God that saves you. Always remember that, because if you do not discipline yourself to to anchor there and kind of lean into the wind. You know, we've been having lovely weather here lately. It's like that moment when you're driving down a nice straight road and all of a sudden you're like, why am I going this way? And suddenly you realize you're driving with the wheel on like a 20 degree angle. Why? Because you're angling into the wind. Welcome to your Christian walk in the world. If you just hold the wheel straight and try to go down a straight road, you know where you're going to end up? In the ditch. Because you won't go that way because the world is constantly sending you something that will blow you off course. It's a reminder to Israel that God is the one who saves. And this goes all the way back. Genesis chapter 22. Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, Father. And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. And Isaac said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Remember, they're going up the mountain to do what with Isaac? Bind him to sacrifice him, right? Abraham said what? God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walk together. And God does provide the lamb. He provides the ram caught in the thicket. Why? 
always ask yourself this question. Who is this lamb? Acts chapter 4. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the crowd, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, Peter always makes sure he gets it in there. There's that little, hey, just, just a little, little knife twist, just in case you forgot a little punch in the kidneys. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He, talking about Christ, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That is true now. It was true when Peter said it, and by the way, it was true even here. What again is being shown, we made this big mention when we talked about the Passover, the sacrifice and the feast, is that the lamb is not an offering unto itself. It is showing you something and pointing to something greater that is to come. That's why the sacrifices continue. It's supposed to remind you that we keep sacrificing lambs, we keep having this meal, and yet what are we still fighting day in and day out? We're still fighting a losing battle against sin. There's got to be something greater. There's got to be someone greater. There's got to be someone who comes in fulfillment of the promise of the garden, who is a prophet like Moses, who will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. There's got to be something better. And that's the picture that is being drawn even here with these reminders. So Moses said to the people, verse 3, Remember this day which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery, for by a powerful hand the Lord brought you out from this place, and nothing leavened shall be eaten. Remember, what's the leaven? Why do we hate yeast? Do we have a problem with yeast? No, yeast is what? It's representative of the sin of the people. So they are putting away the leaven in the same way that they are supposed to be putting away sin. Why are they putting away sin? See, if you're not paying attention, this is where we start to get ourselves wrong, and this is where the sinful heart of humanity and the wind of the world, I guess I'll go back to the driving reference, the wind of the world will push you into the ditch. To put this verse another way, God has redeemed you, therefore put away your sin. Notice the order here, it matters. This is not the last time your Bible will tell you this. 1 John chapter 2. Little children, abide in him, that the him is Jesus, by the way, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. People get so twisted and contorted over the, the lessons of Scripture and the commands of Scripture to walk in righteousness, to walk in holiness. Because you know what they start telling themselves? I'm not good enough. And you know what the dirty little secret is? You're not. <laughs> You're not. I'm not. Nobody is. The only person who was good enough, we crucified. All right? that, was, that was the last one who was good enough. John, 1 John 2 ties people in knots, just like this ties people in knots, because what they think is, I've got to do something to keep me in the faith. No, no, no. You are doing something because you're already in the faith. I, I make mention of this before. It's a, it's a fun joke. I know it's not that funny, but I like it. But one thing I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that 1 John chapter 2 comes after 1 John chapter 1. You know who remembered that when he wrote the book? John. So when John's telling you throughout 1 John 2 that you are supposed to be holy as Christ is holy, you're supposed to walk in righteousness because he is righteous, you're supposed to do all these things, it's because what did he already tell you at the end of chapter 1? 
If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See, John, make sure you get the order of this right. If you sin, you go to Christ. He is a faithful sacrifice and forgiving, gracious, loving God. And if you say you've never sinned, you're a liar. Because <laughs> I know it, and you know it, that you have. Now, in light of that knowledge, John then encourages you to do what? Walk in the faith that is trusting in the sacrifice of the Savior. Same thing Moses is doing here. Moses said to the people, remember this day. What was important about this day? What was God doing? He is taking them out of Egypt. What's our big fancy theological word? He is redeeming them. They are bought and paid for. Remember this day which you went out from Egypt from the house of slavery, for by a powerful hand the Lord brought you out from this place. What did you do? <laughs> you just sat there and went, hey, we didn't die. Good, Go team. Good job. Way to go, everybody. High five. The Lord brought you out and leave nothing leavened shall be eaten. So nothing leavened. Leave it. To put it all aside, your sanctification, your righteousness, your holy walking in Christ must come after justification, must come after salvation. You do not get good so that God will love you. God loves Christ. You are in Christ, therefore God loves you. And he empowers you and strengthens you to live and walk accordingly. There's a difference. This is important because, you know what the big complaint that we get as Christians is from the world? You think you're so much better than the rest of us. No, no, no. I'm genuinely bad at this, I promise. I'm genuinely terrible. I know how evil I am. You know why? Because I live with me every single day. <laughs> Our reminder is that I'm not good. Christ is good. The righteousness that I seek after is not because I'm better than you, but because Christ has set me on a path and I can't do anything else. It's that Jeremiah verse we talked about. Was it last week, week before last? I don't want to preach, but what do I have to do? I have to. I, I have this desire to go sin, but every time I do, you know what ends up happening to me? I get this conviction. I get this kick in the butt from the Holy Spirit. I get this smack in the back of the head and I get put on a different path. Sanctification is a fruit of the work of Christ. It is not the thing that gets you in. Perfection in this life is not attainable because if we say we have not sinned, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. But we strive each and every day to do what? To honor the sacrifice that Christ has made, to walk in his ways, to honor who he is, and to disciple ourselves so that we may disciple others so that we all keep walking in the same direction. So Moses continues. On this day in the month of Abib, you are about to go forth. It shall be when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall observe this right in this month. All right. Why are we reminding them again? We already told them this like a chapter ago, right? All right. One, they're stubborn. <laughs> I mean, Moses is going to get mad at him later on and say, what? You are a stubborn and stiff-necked people. My favorite way to translate that, I don't think the NASB translates that, and so if we ever get to Deuteronomy, that'll bug me, but we'll fix it. It'll be okay. <laughs> You're a stubborn and stiff-necked people. Um, Ecclesiastes will tell you there is nothing new under the sun. You know what we are? We are a stubborn and stiff-necked people. So they need to be reminded they're stubborn, too. They need to be reminded because it's a means of grace. 
This is another one of those things that we get twisted and contorted up. Your profession of faith doesn't save you. Your baptism doesn't save you. When we take communion once a month, that doesn't save us. When we pray, that doesn't save us. When we read our Bible, it doesn't save us. When we encourage others, when we disciple others, when we walk faithfully, that doesn't save us. But it all does what? It strengthens our walk, and it proves what? That Christ has saved us. This is what we talk about when we say a means of grace, especially as Protestants. We're talking about encouragement, uplifting, and strengthening of your faithful walk. Being reminded of the things of God, partaking of the reminders of the things of God, are a means of grace. Be honest. For, for like a little minute after communion, you feel better, don't you? <laughs> you, you just feel like everybody's a little closer, like life is a little bit better. Just, just may not last long, but it's just for a minute. That's a means of grace. You ever go a couple days and not read your Bible? Go a couple days and not pray? Go a couple days and not think about things? And how do you feel? Start getting that kick in the butt again. Why? Means of grace. A reminder of what God has done strengthens his people. You see this in your New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Those are all the people in Hebrews 11, by the way. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How should we do that? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, you've seen all these people walking faithfully. And by the way, you ever want an awesomely bad day? Actually dig into the people of Hebrews 11 that we are told walked faithfully. That is a jacked up group of people. <laughs> I mean, some of the people that make the list, you're reading that list going, he made it? He made the How did that dude make the list? Like, he's the faithful one? I read his story. He's not... I mean, Samson makes the list. Like, what, what did Samson feel like? What do you feel like Samson got right in life? <laughs> Jephthah makes the list. Do you remember what Jephthah's judgeship ends with? Him sacrificing his daughter to God. Because yeah, you know God thought that was a great idea. That's his vow. He's like, if you give me victory in battle, I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out of the house. And when he goes home after battle, what's the first thing that meets him? His daughter. It's like, what are you doing, man? There's literally, again, don't consult the medium. Why? Because God told you not to consult the medium. Don't sacrifice your children. Why? Because God told you, don't sacrifice your children. And he does it. <laughs> Some of these people are busted and broken and messed up. One, that's good news for us. Because if those busted and broken people can be redeemed by Christ, guess what we can? There's hope for us yet. And two, though, what's the standard for walking? Is it perfection? No, it is faithfulness, it is encouragement, it is walking to the best of the work that the Holy Spirit has given, that we may persevere so that we can continue on the path. Continue on in Hebrews, that fixing your eyes on Christ, walking after him actually bears fruit. Verse 3, consider him, talking about Jesus again, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Why would I consider that? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart because isn't that the temptation i mean drive for 40 50 miles against that long straight away with that hard crosswind how's it feel after a while it's exhausting tired of this i just i had to do this years ago 
we had, um, uh, I was a youth pastor in our church, and we had one of our former pastors had passed away. He had left the church 30 years before I was there and had uh, had passed away. And some of the senior citizens of our church wanted to go to the funeral. It was about an hour or so down the road, and they needed a driver. So guess who's got that kind of time on a random Thursday afternoon? The youth pastors got that kind of time. So they loaded me up in the van with... Um, about 10 or 12 senior citizens and sent me down the road. And I'm driving down I-95, going straight south, about 70 plus miles an hour. And as I'm driving, the entire time, there is a west to east crosswind blowing 30, 40 miles an hour, the whole drive. To the point where I I had to stay in the left-hand lane the entire time because at one point, I-95 in North Carolina, for most of it, it's tree-lined. But all of a sudden, you'll get these wide open fields. So the trees block the wind, and you're doing all right. And then you hit an open field, and you know what happens? I, at one point, I was in the right-hand lane. I hit an open field, and you know where I was? I was in the left-hand lane. And terrified me, because what happens if that happens when there's somebody next to me? So I just got in the left-hand lane and stayed there. And every once in a while, I was just you know on the rumble strips going. I, I had to be there for 40 miles driving like that. And I know these seniors are in the back of the van going, this idiot can't drive. He's going to kill us before we get to the funeral and we're never going to make it. One of the guys finally leans up and goes, this is rough. You're doing a good job. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And he really, he just passed, Freddie just passed away last week. Your mother, your mother sent us a message. Let us know. But yeah, he, I appreciate that. You know who didn't want to go to the funeral when we got there? I was exhausted. I was done for because because you, know, you ever drive a 15 passenger van? It's like driving a sail down the highway. It's terrible, Christian. This is what the world tries to do to us. What's the way that you continue on? I mean, if you had told me I had to drive another hour, I'd be like, nope, we're turning around and going home. I'm not doing this. I'm not playing this game. We're just going home now. How do I keep walking in this world? How do I keep tacking against that wind? How do I keep fighting faithfully, fixing my eyes on Christ? Means of grace, fixing my eyes on Christ, communion of the believers, fellowship with other saints, reading my Bible, communing in prayer, bearing the fruit that God has given amongst his people so that I can turn around and look at the world and go, all right, I got this. Yes, we got this because we're not in this by ourselves. I've I've warned against this before. I'll continue to warn against it. Christianity is not a spaghetti Western. Truer words were never spoken, right? I mean, what, what's the theme of all those spaghetti westerns? There's Clint Eastwood riding around, and who's with him? Nobody. It's just Clint and his horse and a rifle half the time, right? Christian, don't live like that. Can't live like that. And the temptation of this world is to make you live like that. One of the things that technology and work from home and lockdown and all of that has done is it has encouraged a generation of people that are really comfortable being by themselves to do what? Be by themselves even more. Christian, we can't. We can't do it. That's why as soon as we could, we opened back up. That's why a day like today, I'm like, you know what? It's a snow day. We'll live with that. But you know what? I had five or six people telling me, hey, we want to be there. We can't. We just, we just can't get there. And we say, awesome. That's not forsaking the assembly. That's life kicked you in the butt for a day. It'll be all right. We'll see you next Sunday. It'll be all right. That's why we have the live stream going. We'll put the sermon on YouTube so we can keep up with folks and everybody knows where we are because we continue to connect. That's why I say, if you haven't seen anybody in a couple weeks, you know what you should do? Give him a call. Send him a text. I know Clark is awesome at that, but we as a church need to be more awesome at that. If nothing else, the kids are having a blast. <laughs> so, all right. Moses continues. You ready for the rapid-fire speed round? 
For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days, and nothing leaven shall be seen among you, nor shall any leaven be seen among you in all your borders. So this is what we're doing. We're not keeping it. We're dealing with this. You shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This is why we're doing it. Keep going. It shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a powerful hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. This is what what we're doing stands for. And then verse 10, Therefore you shall keep this ordinance at its appointed time from year to year. This is how important this is. It's so important that you're going to do it every single year. I don't want to do it every single year don't care. You're doing it every single year. Why? Because it's a reminder of what God has done, of who you are in him, why he has done that, what that's supposed to mean to you, and how you're supposed to tell others. Now, they've been told, so we need to be reminded, why do I stand? What's my guide? How do I strengthen myself to hold up against that wind? Go back to Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Picture this imagery. It's the tree by the stream. Why does that tree stand strong and tall? Because it's got water, it's got good soil, and it does what? It grows. Christian, this is us grounded in one another, grounded in the word, grounded in prayer, partaking of the means of grace. What happens when you forsake this and just live amongst the world? What happens to that drive? Do you continue holding the wheel or do you start to straighten it out a little? And when you start to straighten it out, where do we start going? Why do you know that I'm suddenly standing in a place I'm not supposed to be standing? Because you're reminded of what the word tells you. You're reminded of what your fellow disciples have pointed out to you. You're reminded by the people going, hey, that's the wrong way. And you do what? Hey, you're right. I come back. This is continual. This is Christian living. And First John reminds you what? How long are you going to play this game? <laughs> Until you die. You're going to spend your whole life doing this. Nope, 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 nope. And every once in a while you're going to overcorrect and go into the wrong ditch. And then we're going to get you out and put you back on the road. And you're going to keep on going. And it's just going to be the life in this world. Because again, why? Kingdom isn't here yet. Christ endured hardship and trial. We're called to do the same. Christ walked faithfully. We're called to do the same. Christ trusted in God. We're called to do the same. Christ encouraged. We're called to do the same. We keep walking. It's not pretty always. I mean, can't everybody be like me, right, with my flowing locks? (laughs) Got to make sure you're still awake and paying attention. It's not always pretty, but you know what it is? It's effective. It's how the church has persevered for 2,000 years. It's how faithful believers have walked and encouraged each other for almost two millennia. And until Christ returns, it's the means by which he gives us to continue going along. So again, James gives you the same reminder. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Just as the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil. This is one for you, Vern. I know you like this one. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. To do you any good to plant a crop and then stare at it? (laughs) Grow! Grow! I mean, 
mean, what, what's the lesson everybody learns when you start cooking? What never boils? A watched pot never boils. Because you ever try to make spaghetti and stare at it the whole time? I've actually done this before. I swear to you, it takes 17 hours for that pot to boil. Because you're looking at it. And then you see the little bubble swarm in the bottom, and you're like, all right, it's going to be almost done. So you grab the pasta, and it's not done yet. And you wait, and it doesn't bubble. It doesn't do it. Now, what happens the second you put that pasta down and look away? It boils. It's like it knows you're looking. Nope, nope, not going to do it. We're not going to do it. The laws of thermodynamics will be suspended in your kitchen because you're staring at me and it doesn't work. <laughs> you laugh. It's true. Done this. Try it in your kitchen. Just keep staring at it. It just, won't, it just won't happen. When do we want stuff, honestly? I want it now. I want what I want. I want it when I want it. The reminder is, when does holiness come? When is sin dealt with? When is righteousness fully blossomed in God's kingdom? Is that now? No. So what do I have to do? I have to be patient. What's the one attribute the modern world despises? I mean, <laughs> we get smartphones and, and instant updates and news cycles. I mean, do you remember? I mean, I've grown up in this world, but I remember not knowing things and having to wait for results and looking at newspapers for box scores of games and, and checking the weather on the front page of a newspaper. And that sounds so dumb now, doesn't it? I just, you just scroll, and it's like I type in, and I, and I ask the question, and I want my information, and I want it now. And you know how we know that this is true? Because what happens if you can't find it or the web page won't load? <laughs> how frustrated do we get? How annoyed are we? Because what do we want? The kingdom is not like it. The kingdom works on God's time frame. The kingdom disciples and disciplines us to be patient, to grow slowly over time into the godliness that God is providing. Again, it is a living not for here, but for something beyond, to get you away from the rat race of this world and to slow down. This is why when you, when you read your Bible and you see disciplining of children, discipling of children. They're not quick. I mean, how often do we just want them to get it and then move on? It's not quick. It takes time to teach and to explain and to instruct. Because that's how God has made us. That's how we function best. We're not meant to just cram it all into our brains and then go, I got it. No, you don't. So if you ever remember in high school when you crammed for a test, as soon as you were done and you dumped it all out on paper, what happened? <laughs> Ask me about that again in five minutes. And you know what I don't have? Any of it. I'm doing this now. I'm, I'm reading books on things that I learned in high school and college because I can't remember them because I just shoved them in my head real fast and then dumped it all out. And I'm going, you know what? I need to take my time and do this slowly so that I will actually remember it. You ever had that experience where you're reading something and you've read whole page and you go, what did I just read? Because what am I doing? I'm not paying attention. I'm just, I'm just, I'm reading the page just so I can do what? Just so I can turn the page and finish the, sh I got to do it all over again. This is the, dis the discipline of the world. This is the discipline that we need in the world to walk faithfully and to walk slowly and carefully. If you've never actually walked in the woods and, you know, in muddy or snowy conditions, you walk how? Slow, deliberate, careful. Because what happens if you just go traipsing through? Bad things happen to you. This is how we have to walk in the world, carefully, deliberately, slowly, fixing our eyes on Christ, partaking of the means of grace so that we will tack against the culture. So 
continues, when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, as he swore to you and to your fathers and gives it to you, you shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb and the first offspring of every beast that you own. The males belong to the Lord. All right. Two ideas start to come together. God has been faithful, therefore he calls you to do what? Be faithful. Christian, once again, nothing new under the sun. God has done his work and then empowers you to do your work. 1 John 4 again. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If that was too long for you, John summarizes it at the end of the chapter. We love because he first loved us. Why do we forgive? Because we have been forgiven. Why do we show grace? Because we have been shown grace. We are doing what? Walking and demonstrating how Christ walked and demonstrated. We are doing the things that our master calls us to because we love him and he has set his love upon us. So Moses continues. Every firstborn, I'm sorry, every first offspring of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck, and every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. That escalated a little quick, didn't it? <laughs> Why? That seems a little rough, and I'll help you out. It is a little rough. It's supposed to be rough. Why do we have to redeem anything or anyone? Go all the way back to Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. And we all know what happened. As soon as they had one little question asked, what they do? They ate of the tree, and they were supposed to die. Why didn't they die? Mercy and grace. i got to stop leaning. I almost fell over. <laughs> this matters because it's a serious thing. The death penalty has been applied and it is now to be removed. You don't just get a call from the governor. Penalties must be paid. This is why Leviticus tells you, chapter 17, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is by the blood, by reason of the life, that makes atonement. So, no life, no atonement. No atonement, no life. Same lesson being taught here. You redeem that donkey. If you don't, you know what you you know what's required of it? It's life. This is why you sacrificed a lamb in the place of your children, because if you don't, what was going to be required in Egypt? Their life. So again, a life satisfies this command. So it shall come along. Why is this so serious? Verse 14. It shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? Then you shall say to him, With a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. So in other words, there's going to come a day when your kid's going to walk and go, Dad, I've got questions. Why are we in this land? Why are we God's people? How, how did we get here? Why are we doing this year after year? Why are we going up to Jerusalem? Why are we offering a sacrifice? Why are we slaughtering a lamb? Why are we giving of our crops? Why are we treating our neighbors with respect? Why are we doing all of this? See, what's the first assumption? that you're actually doing all of this because you've been redeemed. But the second is, when people see this, they're going to do what? I have questions. Christian, 
Nothing has changed. First Peter 3. Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. What's the point of that? That's the summary of Peter telling you how you're supposed to live in this world. He's giving you the why. Hence, Moses provides an answer to the people. So when your kid asks, you say, It came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord the males, the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. The answer is, I remember the work that God has done. Therefore I proclaim the work that God has done because it is good and it is right. Philippians 4. Brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's Paul's saying, you saw me do what? You saw me live for Christ to walk in his ways. Do what? Live for Christ and walk in his ways. Because, again, there's going to come a point. Mom, Dad, why do we go to church? Why do we pray? Why do we read our Bible? Why do we give? Why do we make disciples? Why do we sacrifice? Why do we do all this stuff? Because there's a penalty, son. There's a death that applies to us. We were lost in our trespasses and sins, but God, he accomplished, he redeemed, he paid for us, he empowers us, he strengthens us, he lays out a path. We live for him. But they don't do that because, son, they don't live for him. They live for something else. So we proclaim and we walk and we trust and we hope and we know that God is good. And that as he has loved us and saved us, that as we are faithful to proclaim that he will love and save and redeem them. And if he does not, then they will pay their penalty. But you walk a different way. See, people always say, I don't know how to tell my kids. Who are you? Why are you like that? Where are you going? And how do you walk the path? You can answer those questions. You can disciple anybody. And it starts with, why am I doing this? How am I doing this? What am I accomplishing? Whatever this may be, whether it's driving on the road or talking to your kids or shoveling your driveway or however it may be, it is what? How do I glorify God? How do I honor him and proclaim him in these things? That's why the answer is what it is. And that's why this continues. So it shall serve as a sign on your hand and as your phylacteries on your forehead. For with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. See, the work of God is more powerful. The work of God is to never be forgotten. It is accomplished, and it is good because of what he has done. First Peter chapter 1. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges, according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time, during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of the lamb, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Israel was supposed to get this because they were looking every year at this lamb on their dinner table and remembering what? There is a God in heaven who brought us out of slavery, redeemed us and blessed us and set us in this land. It's an animal. 
and a dumb one at that. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, is it really that complicated to catch and kill lambs? <laughs> no. No, it's not. They're, they're just like, nah. This was, you know, the comedian used to laugh. I used to laugh. Um, he was always complain about the price of things. He's like, I understand alligator boots are expensive because catching and killing an alligator is complicated. But you can never understand why is leather expensive. I mean, you walk out into the field, moo, bang, you're a hat. I mean, it's not like you had to, you know, wrestle it. The cows are kind of just like, Mrr. same thing with a lamb. It's simple. It's basic. It's done. But it was supposed to be a powerful representation. Christian, First Peter's trying to tell you, it's not gold and silver. You know, that stuff that's perishable that nobody cares about, that we spend our entire lives trying to do what? And get as much as possible. No, no, no. Precious blood of the lamb. Be reminded of what the sacrifice is. That's how Hebrews 12, we fix our eyes upon. We remember the work that he has done. We remember the suffering and the shame and the forsaking of all that Christ has done for us. And then I'm reminded what? I can stand firm. Why? Because he stood firm. And he has not forgotten. He has not forsaken me. And I can teach. Why? Because I know who I am and I know where I'm standing. And I can look at them and go, there's no appeal to that because I know where they are and I know where they're going. And then I can also have mercy because I can proclaim to them that there is a better way. How do I know? Because I'm walking it each and every day. This is what Israel is supposed to be. This is what they're supposed to be teaching. This is what God is showing them in the Exodus. None of the lessons have changed. This is why we say, read your Bible. It'll do you good because we can take the teaching. We can take the lesson and carry it forward because we're not better or worse sinners than they were. We just find it in a different direction. But God is a better Savior than we are a sinner. And his mercy and grace that covered Israel is a mercy and grace that covers us. The mercy and grace that covered Nebuchadnezzar is the mercy and grace that can cover our, our enemies. The mercy and grace that covered all of these people is the same mercy and grace that can cover all of those who are in his kingdom. Because his work is good and it endures. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the day you give, for the mercies that you provide each and every day, that we as your people can gather together, even when it's hard, even when the weather doesn't cooperate, and we can rejoice that your mercy is good and that your salvation endures. Lord, strengthen us that we would walk faithfully, that we would be your servants in your world, building up your kingdom, knowing that we are a cleansed people that we are a pure people in your sight. And Lord, as we stumble, you will pick us up. And as we fail, you will succeed. And anywhere we fall short, you build us up, encouraging us to trust in you, to be grounded and built up by your great love. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
<laughs> Real quick reminder, um, I've mentioned a few people. Again, if you haven't seen anybody in a couple weeks, send them a message. Um, if you know anybody that needs help getting dug out this week, uh, let me know. We'll see if we can get anybody dug out before, you know, they get completely frozen in. And again, just remember a uh, handful of things, Sam and Shelby's strengths, that they can keep getting healthier and stronger. Mike and Terry's back and just all the general other things going along. Anything else we find out about, we'll send out on the prayer app and get you updated on. So let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave, we ask that you'd strengthen us and protect us. Guard us that we would be your people, called by your name, walking faithfully in what is to be your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.